There's a cold silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. Hi folks, I am Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix on June the 18th, 2010. Now I always suggest, it's very monotonous, but I always suggest you go into cuttingthroughthematrix.com website for newcomers and bookmark all the other sites I have up there. These are the only official sites I have. And whenever you get problems downloading at the com, for instance, try these alternate sites because... So many folk go into the com at the same time, it tends to get a bit sticky on downloads. Now, the, all these sites carry the same audios. They all carry transcripts of a lot of the talks I've given in English. But if you want transcripts in other languages, go into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu. That's got audios and various uh, languages to choose from for the, for the, for the print-up of the talks. And... Remember while you're at it too that I don't get paid by advertisers. I could certainly get paid by them and be laughing all the way to the bank, but I don't. I'm a crazy guy. So it's up to you to keep me going. Now, the ads on the, here on this show are paid by advertisers directly to RBN, and that pays their airtime and their equipment and their staff and their bills. So you've got to help me with mine, and you can do so by going into cuttingtrimedias.com. See what I have for sale. I've got books, different kinds of books that show you the tricks of the trade of how even language itself is used against you and symbolism and so on. Old, old languages. And uh, there are masters of languages who create languages down through the ages, in fact. And we don't even think of that. You've got to go into the era where King James was on the go, James I, and Bacon and, and Dee and all these characters to realize they were actually creating a new language, which they called the English language. And uh, they did say that would be the language of the future for business, which it, it is. That was 500 odd years ago. Anyway, that's getting off the topic. Uh, buy the books. That keeps me going. You can pay from the U.S. to Canada through PayPal for donations or to purchase. If you want to purchase, send a donation through PayPal and a separate email with your name, address, and order. You can use a personal check from the U.S. to Canada, or money. you can also use um, an international postal money order from the post office to Canada. Uh, cash is fine, and uh, MoneyGram is good. Western Union, same across the rest of the globe, of course. Western Union, uh, MoneyGram, PayPal, uh, or cash. And my God, is the cash really plummeting across Europe right now? They're down just, they're half of what they were last year, according to the, to compare to Canadian dollar. They're about half of what they were worth because of all this nonsensical debt that they've dished onto the taxpayer. Now that they've socialized the debt. That's what they call it now. See, when the banks fail, you socialize the debt, meaning it's all put onto you. Isn't that a wonderful system when you're a private company and you can dump it all on the taxpayers? via the governments who work for, you know, the, comp- the corporations. But that's what they've done, and uh, we're really going in a roller coaster right now. The U.S. dollar is about on par with Canada, and it's interesting, too, to see the euro and the pounds getting closer and closer to the value of the dollar, 
because eventually they'll bring out their world currency and they'll have it all set up just to go, well, we're, we're all the same now, we're all equal, so what's the big problem? And that's how they'll push it forward through the World Bank. So they always said they eventually did do that. Whether it's time now or not, I don't know. They might play it a bit longer to keep the, the, the vast majority of sheep uh, thinking it's all happening quite naturally. And they might just jump ahead and do it fast. I don't really think folk would care too much right now. They're all multicultural, multinational, global, and totally brainwashed and punch drunk. I think they'd pretty well accept anything at all, to be honest with you. And I'm not kidding about that. The young ones certainly will. They've had years of propaganda in school about it, beginning at kindergarten. So uh, they're really getting set for their big world camp, the big plantation. We'll serve them forever and ever. Amen. Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watts and we're cutting through the matrix. You know, we we hear about so many problems uh, that, are, that are happening in the world today. The, it's not by chance, of course, but it's a big business plan, as you can well see. You can't bring in a world government unless you standardize the whole planet under the same system. And that's exactly what's happening through the monetary so-called collapses and the bailouts and the IMF coming in and the World Bank getting up to its full power. This is all part of a strategy for globalization, something that certain organizations have dreamed out about for centuries, uh, like the ones who own it, the, the bankers, for instance, the big bankers, the real ones, the international ones, uh, they've dreamt for this for a long, long time. But it must be presented to the public as, uh, as necessity. We're bungling along and things happen and they have to do things through necessity so that it will seem quite natural to people who are meant to be afraid and we turn to government to help us. And the governments, of course, are all put in place by the bankers and they tell us what the bankers want. And they want global governance. They want a new system where people eventually will serve the world system, the world state. That's, that's been written about by the members of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's in their own books. H.G. Uh, Wells wrote about it, a world of service, and that's what they're bringing in. And we can't imagine that. Most folk can't imagine that. They think of always earning their wages, even as their wages become like the, the peso. When you end up with millions of, of peso for, for a salary, and you can buy a cup of coffee at a cafe uh, with it. And that's really where we're going with the dollar. Uh, when you take money into town for anything now, you're as well as throwing hundreds of bucks about because that's what you're going to spend on basic things, even for the, the piddly little GMO groceries that you come out of the grocery store with. Uh, it costs a lot of way, way too much money because everything now, you see, is, is all set up. You're, you live in monopolies. And the big chain stores came in to do away with uh, the small stores in competition. With lots of small stores, you could go to a variety uh, and, and pick from a variety, and it, it made them compete with each other for prices and quality. You, once they're put out the way, uh, there's none of that. You're left with what the buyers for the big chain stores decide you're going to get, and that's what goes on the shelf. And what do they, they give you? GMO. And Canada, they don't even bother labeling it here. It's quite something. 
because you see we're not worth too much in Canada. Uh, we don't complain much, so uh, we can really be the guinea pigs for the whole world. And it's working really well because everyone's got stomach problems and people are dying like crazy in cancers. So it's really working well for the for the masters at the top who who monitor all this stuff. And with the national health system too, by the way, it's much easier. Quite a few years back, they put in a, a centralized computer in Ottawa. And there's a big, well, a little bit of furor amongst the press. The public didn't really care uh, that this was given too much power uh, to, to maybe a few people in Ottawa to have access to all the data, the incomes, the expenditures, the health care, updated daily from computers across the, the country to this massive computer. And... Um, I think it was McClelland at the time got the heat for that because I always give someone to take the heat. And she says, don't worry, we'll solve the problem. So they split it into two computers. And Canadians thought that was a good deal. So we're, we're very easily pleased in Canada. That's why they can use us as test rats, basically. Mind you, we have David Suzuki here too, that great guy who loves the United Nations. He is a geneticist, a geneticist himself, in fact, and He's up on YouTube talking about people. He calls them maggots. That's how he likens people. They're maggots. Although he said there are special types of maggots that are higher on the food chain than the ones beneath them. And I guess being a good eugenicist, he believes that himself. He's up there, you see. So anyway, we're all maggots at the bottom, so we get what we're fed. And there's no variety. You can't. It's very difficult to get organic food. And if you can afford it, it's awfully, awfully expensive. So that only the fittest will survive. You see, the fittest being the ones with the biggest income. That's what Darwinism is all about. But as I say, they're standardizing the rest of the world. They've said before they couldn't exist with Islam. Uh, Islam would not fit into the New World Order with its quaint uh, beliefs and all that stuff. And the very fact it doesn't go in for usury is a big taboo with the world bankers. Uh, they don't believe in that. That's, that's against their prime tenets. So they have to demolish their system, westernize it, uh, bring in the strip joints, the drugs, and get abortion on the go for the youngsters after they watch much music. So that's what they're doing and across the, the Middle East right now, of course, and making sure there are no enemies of Israel because Israel has been put there and set up to be the overseer of the whole area, obviously. And that's why it's, it goes along with the, the U.S. and Britain with their foreign policies. It's all the same policy. Now, a while back I mentioned a video up on YouTube, I think it was, where microwave had been microwave weaponry had been used in Afghanistan, and it was a, a horror show what they've tested out in these countries. Because you see, there's no oversight, and that's why they, they rush over there. All the guys with their test weaponry try it out on people; they won't be missed. No one cares, and there's no big taboo to do about it anywhere in the world. And they'd literally um, used it on a whole bunch of people, and they shrunk. It dries you; they shrink. The corpses were about four feet long, some of them. What was left of them? There was also another device they used on a bus, and the military definitely used it intentionally on a bus. It was of no threat to them because the bus had asked permission to go to the next town, uh, and uh, they, they were sent along the roads and given permission. They only got a couple hundred yards, stopped by another U.S. military base uh, blockade, 
and sent back again. So when they were halfway between the two of them, they hit him with this weapon that literally sliced open their, their stomachs, abdomens, heads came off, the whole thing. They saw nothing, heard nothing. And the surgeons you'll hear on this video said it was incredible. There were pieces of brains and intestines on the, the ceiling and so on. And it's like, it's like scalpel cuts had just ripped them apart, some new weaponry. So that's what they do. They test them on, on these poor souls. And the world doesn't really care much. You know, we're too dumbed down, stupid and self-centered now and egocentric as we've been taught to be. In other words, we're completely uh, defective as a survival society or even individually. Here's an article here uh, ties in with that. And I'll get that link, that old link, if you can find it in my archives. And I'll put it up to, to match this article. But this um, this article coming, it says... Uh, U.S. may unleash microwave weapon in Afghanistan. So we're going to use it in Afghanistan if they haven't already. June 17th, a controversial non-lethal weapon that uses microwave energy to create intense pain is being considered for use in Afghanistan. AOL News has learned. Now remember, they can up the frequency and the power to it to anything they want or lower it. The same with the non-lethal weapons they're going to use on the crowds at the G20 and G8 meetings in Canada which they bought, actually. I realized that was part of, I found an article where they actually bought some of this gear to test out on the, on the little low, low life of Canada. That's all of us. An Air Force military officer and a civilian employee at the Air Force Reception Laboratory told AOL News at the industry conference here that the active denial system, which heats the top layer of skin via millimeter waves, was in Afghanistan for testing. The sources were not able to offer details on how, whether, or whether the weapon was being used in combat. No, well, of course it's there. It's not there to show off to them, is it? The weapon is designed to shoot an invisible beam of energy at people, create an intense burning sensation that forces them to flee. And I'll add on to this, and if they put it on a high power source, it will literally dehydrate them and shrink them into little corpses, like they did in, in Iraq. The Air Force has called it the goodbye effect. Oh, they love these little jokes to their victims, eh? It's not been used before in military operations, which is an utter, utter lie. Utter, utter lie. But what do you expect from the military, eh? The Air Force Research Laboratory Directed Energy Directorate Active Denial System, ADS, is a counter-personnel, non-lethal, sometimes directed energy weapon. It says here, uh, so that the considering is that it's underway for an appropriate employment of an active denial system, Kelly Hughes, a representative for the Joint Non-Lethal Weapons Directorate, wrote an email to the AOL News. 2008, the Pentagon considered deploying the active denial system in Iraq, which they did, uh, but the effort was stymied over policy concerns. Well, they used it regardless. So they're, they're going through their usual BS, which is bothersome stuff to the very naive, and they're going to use it over there and blast the people. No one will care because who's taking tally, you see? No, no one cares. They can, they can use hundreds and thousands of them for, for testing, and we'll never know, and it'll never get out to the world. That's what really goes on. Uh, all the big testing groups get, get right into these war zones to try out their latest gear, and there's no one there to report it as a, a, a travesty or even uh, being diabolical for that matter. That's the real world, isn't it? 
People don't realize that's the real world. They, always, they seem to think that everything goes through laws and stages and things before anything can be it's Nothing is further from the truth. You're living in an utter system of deception. Our whole world is deception. Do you believe, if we've been voting all these years for government, do you think things would maybe get better for the people sometimes? Hmm? Ah, dear, dear, dear. And people still want to save this system. Don't make it any worse. Save it and let us go on for a little while longer. Let the the next generation really suffer. But let us live and and buy and have fun uh, until that comes. That's really what they want. That's really what they want. No one's rethought the system. You can't get back something that's gone. All all the factories and, and even the, the auto departments and, and car money, they're all abroad now. Even the companies that make your underwear moved to China years ago. There's nothing left. You would need a brand new system. And no one's got a philosophy to sit down and think about it or anything else. All they do is bitch and complain when it gets worse. And they'll keep doing that to the bitter end. Because they will do nothing else about it. I'll be back with more after these messages. the matrix we are run by criminals basically who see themselves as the most superior people on the planet and i guess that's one of the qualifications they have is they're basically criminals of psychopathic personalities they believe in darwinism and they believe that since they've got to the top and and stolen billions of dollars or through their cunning and so on that they deserve to be there because that's one of the criteria to get into the top and, and being a special person is you've used your cunning you're a survivor you see and they talk about this amongst themselves, and that's how they pat each other in the back. Yeah, he's another survivor here. He ripped off the, you know, the taxpayers of so and so for so and so, and and now he's he's worth billions. And and so welcome to the club. That that's literally how it is. It's always been that way. And it's only important that we get trained in a different reality. And I remember Lenin said the same thing, and then that was followed by Stalin, who said, "You've got to pay your teachers." and your military and the police very well. The three main parts of... See, the teachers give you your your fake reality. We're all in it together, working for each other for a better life, folks, you know, all that stuff. And you need your police uh, to to bash you on the head to make sure if you you start breaking into another reality uh, that you, you get back into the first one very quickly, you see. And failing all that, you use the military. Then use your military to to go abroad and create the same reality for a new generation of children growing up in the lands you're going to conquer. That's really what is what it is. Empire building, you see, world empire. So here's what he's about one guy um, who made good, you know, and he's a crook, of course. It says Fannie Mae owns owns the patent on the cap and trade exchange and on the carbon tax thing. It's the patent for it. And this was April twentieth, two thousand and ten. And it's from BNET, it says, when he wasn't busy helping create a $127 billion mess for taxpayers to clean up, which was the, the way he was told to do it, because it was intended that we end up with, with it all, as he socialized the debt, as they call it. 
former Fannie Mae Chief Executive Officer Franklin Rains, two of his top underlings and select individuals in the Green Movement were inventing a patented system to trade residential carbon credits. Residential, remember that's your personal ones. And so patent number 69043336 was approved by the U.S. Patent and Trade Office in November 7, 2006. That all worked out way in advance, eh? The day after Democrats took control of Congress. Former Senecrat uh, John Sununu, uh, RNH, um, criticized the award at the time, pointing out that it had nothing to do with Fannie Mae's charter, nothing to do with making mortgages more affordable. It wasn't about mortgages, it was about greenbacks. The patent, which Fannie Mae confirmed it still owns with Cantor Fitzgerald subsidiary, CO2E.com, gives the mortgage giant a lock on the fledgling carbon trading market, thus also um, giving it a major financial stake in the success of cap-and-trade legislation. They're going to make a killing off this, this crook. Uh, this particular character, who, who Franklin Rains, who was already disgraced for, for what he did before, but now he's going to laugh all the way at the bank again. <laughs> I love this, how they, how they give you these fake stories on these guys, these multimillionaires. You know, a poor guy, you know, rags to riches story. Every one of them's always a rags to riches. They make this up, they make this rubbish up all the time. He was a Rhodes Scholar too, by the way, for world government. They don't mention that in this article here. But so, there you go, you're already paid to another crook. But what, why, why change the pattern? They're all crooks, you know. It says, besides Reigns, the, the, the other inventors are former uh, Fannie Vice President and Deputy General Counsel G. Scott Lesmes, uh, who provided legal advice on Fannie Mae's debt and equity offerings. Former Fannie Mae Vice President Robert Sahadi, who now runs Greenspace, Investment financial services out of his 5,002 square foot Clatsburg home. And he probably gets a subsidy to heat it to make sure, you know. And he probably goes through Al Gore's carbon tax scam as well. Boy, they're all raking money off this nonsense, eh? And that's what the whole Gulf thing, what is, the catastrophe is for as well, because Obama's going to push it all through and you're going to pay and pay and pay forever. All these wonderful carbon taxes that, uh, that's all a big con in the first place. 2008 Barack Obama fundraiser Kenneth Berlin, an environmental law partner at Skadden Arps, was also involved. Uh, Michel uh, Desidero, um, director of the National Green Building Certification Program, which trains green monitors. <laughs> uh, former Cantor Fitzgerald employee Elizabeth Ardner Cavi, wife of Democrat donor uh, Brian Cavi of the Stanton Park Group, which received $200,000 last year to lobby on climate change legislation. <laughs> and then it goes on and on and on. But, I mean, well, isn't this what you expect? It's what I expect. It's what I expect. It doesn't you know, bother me at all. It's, it's quite normal, actually. You know. And the real world, you know, the real world. Not the TV version. You know. Now, you know, most... Governments and their agencies run through policies and not laws. And it's the same when police and military bring in various... It's the same with private businesses. It's our policy not to do this or it's a policy to do that. We'll just change our policy so they don't have to go through the hassle of legalizing anything, but that becomes their policy, you know. And when it comes to spying on the public, most of it is done through agreements and policies and verbal agreements and little nods and winks. 
and shuffling your feet in a square position, stuff like that. And this article here is about, it's from the EU Observer, and it will show you what they're doing on radicals and who's classified as a radical because it's a very wide term. Back with more after these messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Cutting through the matrix. I'm talking about how most agreements are made really verbally. Uh, otherwise, you see, they would be legal, and then if they're legal, it gets out to the public, and the public, uh, some of the public might not be too happy. Most of them won't care. Uh, and I really believe that most of the public really don't care much about what happens to them. They think this system is going to go on forever, no matter what the media is telling them and all the rest of it, and they can buy the latest gizmo and gadget. And forever, never, never. That's how they think. As long as the TV's working, everything, the world is just fine. That's it. Now, this is from the, the EU Observer. It says, the EU instrument for spying on radicals causes outrage. You, you, know, you notice that as we're getting down to minimalistic speech in all the papers now. It's as, as about grade six level or less, in fact. And, and they use these terms like outrage. They love outrage. There's never really an outrage. But they, they use it regardless, it sounds better, rather than a yawn, you know. And this is uh, uh, from, from the 14th of June. It says, civil rights watchdogs and members of the European parliaments have attacked new EU plans to gather data on people who voice or share radical messages in a bid to preempt terrorist attacks. Now, for the States and Canada and elsewhere, you remember that the central computer for all this stuff on the, is in the EU, including for America, they share it all. Instantly, that they have all the names of everybody, you see. So that includes everybody in the U.S. and Canada, too. Political activists labeled as extreme right or left or Islamist, nationalist, and listen to this, nationalist, that means if you believe in you're having a nation. And remember Kissinger, years ago, and I read that the article, where it was a couple of years ago, he was talking to the EU at the time, it says people often uh, ask us as Americans to define what a terrorist is. And it says a definition of a terrorist is someone who is nationalist and is against globalization. That is the official version of it. So it reiterates it here. It says political activists labeled as extreme right, left, Islamist, nationalist, or anti-globalization. It's just right here. And I always tell you, believe these guys when they speak. They tell you uh, the truth. Says may in future find themselves under surveillance in line with a new so-called EU data compilation instrument put at the disposal of police and security forces in member states. It says here, uh, the 70-question long instrument covering ideologies, dissemination, channels, personnel and professional data on agents would help police and security officials gather comparable intelligence across the EU, which could later be pooled together into a single database. They already have the single database. And as I say, the U.S. uses the same base. The NSA uses it too. In fact, they feed most of the data into it. Although non, see, here we go. Although non-binding, you see, non-binding, 
uh, it means it hasn't gone through any legal process. The guidelines can legitimize police cooperation and new practices in the member states. The instrument was made public last month by State Watch, a civil liberties watchdog, after being agreed by EU ministers in April. Ministers are politicians. The data selection criteria are very broad and flexible, with member states and EU institutions being invited and advised to make the best use as they see fit of the data compilation instrument provided for them by amending it and tearing it to their specific requirements, the internal EU document says. Members of the, the European Parliament dealing with justice and home affairs expressed their outrage. Oh, we're outraged. That's our job to be outraged at the decision, which was not subject to any parliamentary oversight. Doesn't have to. Most of these big things are, they don't go through the process. It's all incredibly vague, they said. They like the vagueness because it, it can't come back in them. Oh, I wasn't unaware. I was unaware of that. I didn't know about that. I was just very, very vague. The danger is that this is spreading the net too wide instead of gathering targeted information on people who are seriously becoming a terrorist threat. British Liberal MEP Sarah Ludford said in a telephone interview with this website. She has formally asked the council to give an explanation of its decision. The kind of soft law doesn't really work. That's what they call soft law. If they really wanted to do something serious, they would have to come up with a legal EU instrument and table it for a co-decision on the European Parliament, she said. They can do anything they want in the EU Parliament at the top because the politicians have got nothing to do with it. They can't even alter a law that's passed by the executives at the very top, who meet, by the way, in secret. They actually publish that, that they meet in secret. We don't even know who they are. The fundamental law of the mechanism is that by talking about radicalization instead of terrorism, it includes in the same sweep swaths of political activists and dissenters. She explained that's his intention, because there's very little terrorism, you see, but there's lots of people who are not too happy about what's happening in the world. So you're dissenters, it's all about dissenters. Being a radical is not the same as being a terrorist. She says, I'm a radical in data protection, for instance, Ms. Lunford said, a democratic society wouldn't work without dissenters. Democratic society. We didn't dismantle communism and fascism to start being suspicious of people who hold different views from the establishment. Oh, oh really? <laughs> the British peer noted that while the European Parliament was setting high data protection standards in negotiations with the U.S. on a bank data transfer deal aimed at tracking terrorist financing. That's, that's the people's financing. They're all terrorists, you see. EU ministers seem to have no concern when passing such a sloppy decision as this one. Her criticism was echoed by Benjamin Ward from Human Rights Watch. Well, he has to. That's his job, isn't it? An international non-governmental organization fighting against human rights violations. Yeah, right. Sharing and centralizing in EU institutions data about persons who have not been convicted of a crime solely on the basis of their opinion is worrisome, he said. Well, it's done what is terrifying if you really think of the consequences. It is disturbing that the only reference to personal data protection is in relation to Europol. That's the the Rothschild private cop. They set it up. Interpol was set up. It's now Europol. And it was the Rothschilds that set it up because, you see, when Rothschild came into Britain, they already had this big, massive gang with them. That's how he got in. And that's why he wasn't bumped off when he, when he basically stole the people's money. That's, how, that's what really happened. So it says here, 
that it's uh, basically it's all that's nod and a wink and, and it's okay. So a similar database to the one envisaged at the EU level already exists in Britain, the Guardian reports. It monitors environmental extremists alongside far-right activists. Far-right now means that you believe in having a sovereign country. Uh, dissident Irish Republicans, loyalist parliamentarian, uh, parliamentaries, uh, and Al-Qaeda-inspired extremists. What a lot of collywobbles, eh? In other words, they do what they want to do, folks, and if you're against having globalization and being a serf under masters that live maybe thousands and thousands of miles away in some other country, or the globe trotting around to their different uh, summer homes, um, you're a radical terrorist, you see. That's really what it means, isn't it? Yep. That's what it means. And then... Supposedly, a document, a confidential document reveals Obama's hardline U.S. climate talk strategy. Uh, it was left in a computer, apparently. Uh, I'm awful suspicious of these things. This is from the theguardian.co.uk. It says, document outlines key messages to the Obama administration which they want to convey in the run-up to U.N. climate talks in Mexico in November. Well, they're going to get what they want anyway because they've got that lovely Gulf spill, as they call it, on the go. And uh, that's terrifying people. You've got to have a real event, you see, to make it ha- to make it real to the public. If it's a war, or you blow up buildings, or you you let oil seep seep out and kill lots of fish, they don't really care as long as they get their way. It says the document outlines key messages the Obama administration wants to convey in the run-up to the UN climate change in Mexico in November. Uh, it was accidentally left on a European hotel computer and passed the Guardian, and it reveals the U.S.'s government increasingly controversial strategy in the global U.N. climate talks. Titled Strategic Communications Objectives and dated 11th of March 2010, it outlines the key messages that the Obama administration wants to convey to its critics and to the world media in the run-up to the vital U.N. climate takes in Calcun, Mexico in November. Top of the list of objectives is to reinforce the perception that the U.S. is constructively engaged in U.N. negotiations in an effort to produce a global regime to combat climate change. It also talks of managing expectations of the outcome of the Cancun meeting and bypassing traditional media outlets by using podcasts and intimate meetings with the chief U.S. negotiator to, to disarm the U.S.'s harsher critics. But the key phrase is in paragraph 3, where the author writes... Uh, create a clear understanding of the CA, as the Copenhagen Accords, standing and the importance of of operationalizing all elements. This is the clearest signal that the U.S. will refuse to negotiate on separate elements of the controversial accord, but it intends to push it through the U.N. process as a single ticket-or-leave-it text. The accord is a last-minute agreement reached at the chaotic Copenhagen summit in November. It wasn't chaotic at all. They got exactly what they wanted, which was the start, because then they just keep adding to it every year, or twice a year. Over 110 countries are now associated with the accord, but it's not been adopted by the 192-nation United Nations Climate Convention. The U.S. has denied aid to some countries that do not support the accord. The take-or-leave approach divided countries in bond this weekend and alienated most developing countries, including China. How on earth can they call China a developing country? Well, it's, it's, it holds pretty well all the debt for the U.S. It manufactures and supplies to the whole planet. 
But because it signed the GATT Treaty and agreed to put it down as a third world country, it can stay like that forever as a third world country, paying no carbon taxes uh, or, 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 all, or the other big taxes too they're supposed to pay into this global society. It's India and Brazil who want to take parts of the accord to include the formal UN negotiations. They say the court has no legal standing and should not be used as the basis of the final legally binding agreement because it's not ambitious enough. Ambitious enough, eh? It lacks any specific cuts in the oh, greenhouse gas emissions. Greenhouse gas emissions, eh? I love these. Men like Lenin said we shall win by slogans and repetition. Eh? That's all you hear, is it? And sets a temperature rise limit to two degrees centigrade, which critics say is too high to prevent serious harm to Africa and all that rubbish. Anyway, that's enough of that nonsensical stuff. And we'll go on to the next topic. And it really is. It's, a, it's an agenda, folks, to control the whole planet. Scotland is going to be the first country, apparently, to use robot workers. Well, I don't know if it is. I, I read that Norway was already using them on some geriatric. Well, it's old elderly. It's to dehumanize the elderly. You see, they call them geriatrics. Oh, elderly hospitals. So a hospital in Scotland has become the first in the UK to use a fleet of robots to carry out day-to-day tasks. The robots will carry clinical waste, deliver food, clean the operating theatre and dispense drugs. I wonder, I wonder what they'll do if you refuse the pills, eh? They're currently undergoing final tests ahead of the August opening of the new £300 million Fourth Valley Hospital in Larbert, Stirlingshire. £300 million, eh? Brand new. They love robots and new buildings. This can't afford care for the people. <laughs> the robots will have their own dedicated network of corridors underneath the hospital. National Health Service 4th Valley Chairman Ian Mullen said, the new hospital would be packed full of design features to improve patient care and improve the life of staff. He added members of staff will use a handheld PDA to call up the robot to move meal trays or linen or whatever. Or I don't know what the whatever is. Uh, the robot will come up in the service lift by itself, pick up the item, and go back into the lift. Tom McEwen, the project manager for manufacturer Serco, said a series of pre-programmed routes would be used uh, and set out for the robots to follow. I wonder what happens if they get off their route, eh? Computers on board the robots will be able to tell doors to open, and sensors will tell the robots to stop if anything or anyone is in the way. One of the most valuable aspects of using robots is in controlling infection. <laughs> I guess that's an excuse for it. Eh? <laughs> Traditionally, clean and dirty tasks are carried out by the same person. Infection control nurse Leslie Shepherds. Uh, these, you, you know, Britain is the same as every other country. They're top heavy in chiefs, and there's nobody in the wards working. Uh, that's no kidding. That's that's what's wrong. Yeah. Here you'll have the robots that do dirty tasks, so they may take dirty linen or clinical waste away, and you'll have robots that do clean tasks, such as bringing meals and clean linen to patients. I hope the robots know that. They can separate lifts so there's no way they can cross, which is great. Imagine trying to describe one. Uh, this robot, took, he's supposed to be the clean robot, but he's took the dirty linen away there. Uh, well, describe him. Well, he's, he's tall and clanky. <laughs> you can describe me. <laughs> Other robot models will clean theatre floors and even dispense drugs at the pharmacy. Manager says the robots would not replace humans. Oh, who's kidding who, eh? But would free up more time for staff to spend with patients. That'll be the day. That means they're going to cut off the staff, cut down the staff. They'll also have to keep at least one human on standby should any of the robots break down or need oiled. <laughs> I added the last part. 
Anyway, this, this is a farce of the world. But yeah, hospitals are top heavy with all these managerial classes and number sevens and sixes and fives and fours and threes and twos and ones, you know. Now, we always get laughed at when we use New World Order and stuff, even though we always quote the big boys that use it themselves, like Tony Blair, who used it at the opening speech. Sorry, Tony, it's Mr. Brown, I think, used it at the opening speeches, one of his G, his G, G string meetings. This, this one here is from Bloomberg. Uh, Russia will lead effort to found a new world economic order, Mervedev says. And that's June the 18th. Russia will help lead efforts to recast the global economic hierarchy as the world emerges from the financial crisis, President Dmitry Medvedev said. We really live at a unique time, and we should use it to build a modern, prosperous, and strong Russia, a Russia that will be a co-founder of the new world economic order, Medvedev said at the annual St. Petersburg International Economic Forum today. Medvedev, in the third year of his presidency, is promoting modernization to transform Russia from an oil and gas economy into a magnet for high technology. Is there a lot? Have you ever wondered if any of these guys are robots themselves, maybe? Eh? D, 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 D. Is reliance on natural resources exacerbated the stupid contradiction? Because they all sound the same. You ever think about that? They give the same phrases and stuff and all the optimism and, 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 and always using crisis to their advantage. Hmm? Its reliance on natural resources exacerbated the steepest contradiction amongst major emerging markets last year when the economy shrank a record 7.9%. The government will abolish taxes on capital gains from long-term direct investments starting next year, seeking to lure funds to reduce the economy's energy dependence and subdue speculative capital, Medvedev said. Such investments are critically important for modernizing the national economy and we're ready to create institutions to facilitate such investments, he said. The government will create an investment fund within a year to help draw strategic investors by raising three rubles of private capital for each one ruble of state money. We understand that the international competition is the decisive stimulus for modernization, the president said. I wish they stopped saying the president said. Russia should become an attractive country to which people from the whole world will become in search of their dreams. Actually, there's a lot of people I know already who've gone to Russia to live because there are less hassles there right now. Uh, They don't have all this political correctness in certain uh, parades through towns like Santa Claus, you know, stuff like that. They don't have all that kind of stuff going on. And it's freer right now, cheaper to live. Back with more after these messages. Cutting through the matrix. I was going through aftermath news in their archives and have a good story on the hazings that go on for gang initiations within the military. Yep, there's lots of gangs from the streets of America and other countries in the military now, and they're carrying on their initiations. And this one is from the 9th of June 2007. Gangs of Iraq, military quietly enlisting thousands of active gang members. And it says, um, A ghost army of gangbangers presents a terrifying challenge for the military. It is setting the stage for disaster, says one long-time military advisor. Lax enlistment standards have inadvertently allowed... Actually, they they want them in, because it was predicted long ago they started getting the really tough uh, gang members in when they bring them back home and turn them on the people. Allowed known members of the Crips, Bloods, Latin Kings and various white supremacist groups to join the military. 
With unintended help of the U.S. Army, the gangster disciples are extending the reach worldwide. Then they go through a hazing that was, to done, was done to one soldier uh, who ended up dying. And it was his friends, by the way, uh, they'd fought alongside that, that did him in in, the, in this uh, initiation, right? And it's, it's really quite something. Uh, and I happened too. It's amazing how they have, I don't know if it's just a coincidence, but um, the U.S. base in Germany, I happened, and it's Kaiser Slaughtern. Kaiser Slaughtern Army Base in Germany. It does exist. There is a Kaiser Slaughtern Army Base in Germany. So anyway, um, the, the gangs have their colors. What you do is you kick you in, you to hold their colors in your hand, never let it go, and so on. Uh, that's what they do. Some, and a lot worse to you as well. Anyway, he died. And they're really getting a lot of these gangs in because they want to be real. T- I mean, all they're doing is coming from a, a, one gang and joining the biggest gang with the biggest weapons. And you're allowed to kill, you know, stuff like that. Yep. And then you find uh, in Britain, now it's got so bad. And this is from uh, the Mail Online. If you advise a friend on how you save some money in your taxes, not not by... Um, evasion, but avoidance. There's two legal categories. Did you say, why oh, did this and I claim this back? That gets you a £5,000 fine. So the tax chat that could land you a £5,000 fine. Big Brother Law Threatens Innocent Advice. 5th of May 2000. Anybody who advises a friend to take out a, a, um, an ISA or gives him a similar tax saving tip risks a £5,000 fine experts warranted. All of these experts are of you. A world run by experts. The attack proposed Big Brother powers for the HM Revenue and Customs, which could ensnare those simply trying to help a friend, a relative, or colleague, or cut their tax bill. Innocent victims could include a person who mentions to a friend in the pub that an ISA is a way of saving £10,200 a year tax-free. Oops, 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 I just said it, oops. <laughs> Anybody who advises a friend to take out an ISA or gives them a similar tax statement, so it's, you, you end up getting a £5,000 fine for saying something else. Anybody who advises a friend to take out an ISA or gives them a similar tax statement, well, says that again. Even a vicar who encourages a congregation to donate money using the gift aid envelopes rather than putting cash straight into the Sunday collection may fall into the trap. Charities could also be hit by the draconian new law avoidance, uh, new avoidance law, uh, the experts claim. It will make it an offence to hold any conversation, even in private, with friends if it offers clues on how to pay less taxes. Professor Anne Redstone, a tax and legal expert from King's College London, described the proposed legislation as dangerous, disproportionate, and an erosion of fundamental freedoms. No kidding. That's why we have experts for it. Tell us what something is is, is damn well obvious. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you. That's how it is. And from Hamish and myself. Hamish is my dog, by the way. I haven't cut his hair yet for the summer because we haven't had much of it so far. It's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.